Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. And uh, I think probably a, a few people probably could have guessed this. Anytime uh, healthcare is making a lot of uh, headlines, I, I can uh, assume there's a Sawbones episode to follow, especially when you come to me shaking your head and holding up your phone. I can tell that probably there's going to be an episode. Well, I think I think this is an important thing to talk about, though, and there are a lot. By the way, when you say like something that's happening in the news related to healthcare, and especially like the restrictions of healthcare, uh, there's a lot going on. Unfortunately, it's mm-hmm. not just one issue. Um, specifically, because this is kind of I- impending news, like it's happening now, and things are going to change. W- as of when we're recording this, things will change tomorrow. So the so actually. The day our show comes out, yeah, there will probably be updates to this. So this is unfolding news. But you may have read something about the uh, mifepristone, which is commonly called the abortion pill. Mm-hmm. Are you four eighty six? I feel like there's those of us of a certain age. Are you four eighty six? Is more familiar to me it, for some reason. Right? I, I must have been bombarded by that in in high school or something. Well, it uh, as we go through the the years of when this pill was approved and everything, it would make sense. But that is, it's funny that a collection of letters would be like and numbers, uh, letters and numbers would be more familiar. But are you 486, mifepristone, or the abortion pill, as many of us, when we first heard about it, called it, uh, was recently, so it is still available, but it is its future in this country, the United States of America, uh, as being able to be legally prescribed by physicians is right now in question. So that that is the, is, is in question. I don't want anyone to, it's very important with this kind of thing that you not be too alarmist, I think, because then people think that something is gone when it isn't. And that doesn't mean it might not be in the future, but but I don't want to, you know what I'm saying? Of I want to be very clear. Yeah. So if you've heard anything about it, you may be wondering, first of all, a lot of people might not be familiar with what this pill is, what it does, how frequently this is how abortions are performed. I think a lot of people are not familiar with that. Um, and why in the world if it's been around for a long time. Are we just now deciding? That the FDA approval was wrong. Because that's basically what we're getting at is should this drug that was approved by the FDA a long time ago, should it have been? And can we now take action to stop it? Um, and if you if you start to think about the ramifications of that, and we'll get into that, that's like a giant legal question. Right. 
So let's start off by saying that mifepristone was approved in the U.S. in the year 2000. True. This may be why you and I think about it as like, are you 486, the abortion pill? So this would this would have been the year before I graduated high school. My first year of college, yeah. So like right when, you know, you're thinking, you're really paying attention, you're thinking about a lot of like political things and activism, and, and this was right in there for me. And listen, like my first year of college, I had to think about birth control a lot. If you know what I mean, I was an immediate sort of splash with the population there. And I mean, I can understand why I remember this because birth control was really high on my mind at that point. I like to imagine that when you say that, what you mean is like you were very quick to like counsel people on various methods of contraception and like offer rides to the family planning clinic at the health department as needed. And like, listen, Sid, I would love to (laughs) say that's true. But when you're living with your parents, it doesn't give you a lot of free time. To uh, to to do that kind of helpful work, so. yeah, to to help friends who can give birth and and <laughs> yeah. getting contraceptive services. Um, so it has a very long track record of being safe and effective, and it is always used in conjunction with another medication. Usually, misoprostol is what most frequently is used in the U.S. And I'll get into the ins and outs of that first. So, prior to mifepristone, pretty much if you needed an abortion, it was a procedure. Mm-hmm. Okay. It wasn't a medicine. You went into an office and you had a procedure performed, hopefully legally prior to the 70s in this country, unfortunately, illegally, and then very dangerously with high rates of complications and and mortality. And we've covered that. We've done a whole episode about that. Um, Now, there are ways of performing abortions without mifepristone with just pills, and we'll get into that regimen that exists today. Mm -hmm. Those were not commonly used prior to mifepristone being developed because the drug that we now use that we can use singly has other uses. So all these drugs are old. And the way that we do a medical abortion nowadays, typically, in countries where mifepristone is legal, because not not all places can you access this med, you give someone a 200 milligram dose of mifepristone first, mifepristone first. Um, In some states, you actually have to go in and like see the doctor or provider to get that. Mm-hmm. There are some places where you actually to take it there. Now, oh, this wow. all changed during COVID with telehealth and medicine by mail sure, and all that kind right. of stuff. But there were certain restrictions placed on it. Like it wasn't something like I am a physician. I couldn't just like send a prescription for this to the pharmacy for you. Okay. This was not something. This was, there are some meds that are restricted. Um, like a, a commonly Suboxone, the med, medically assisted treatment of substance use disorder. Same thing. Okay. Okay. So, What this drug does is it blocks progesterone. You need the hormone progesterone for the early development of a pregnancy. So if you don't have it, then basically you have a period. Okay. You have the the lining of your uterus, the endometrium, comes off and sheds and you bleed. Got it. And any other cells that are in there are going to be evacuated as well. Everybody out. Everybody out. Um, that's That's how periods happen anyway. Like progesterone levels drop, a period happens. Okay. So the lining starts to shed along with anything else that's in there. So um, the way that it would work as mifepristone being a legal drug is you take it, you can keep on with your normal activities at first, and then in about 36 to 48 hours, your your provider will tell you exactly when they will have prescribed you the follow-up pill. So these are two different drugs. The second one is a prostaglandin, usually mifeprostol. You take... Uh, four 200-microgram tablets of this, and you can do this at home. You don't have to do this in a doctor's office or anything. You can take these at home. And what this will do at this point is cause what we call like um, cervical ripening. 
So it softens the opening of your uterus, the cervix, mm. uh, and it causes some uterine contractions, and you can actually use it to induce labor as oh, well. Okay. Um, this is a very old drug. The mesoprostol uh, was originally developed for the treatment of stomach ulcers back in the 70s because um, it does that too by blocking acid secretion. <laughs> so mesoprostol is an old drug used for other things. We know what it does. It's a prostaglandin, incredibly safe. So you take mefepristone, then you take mesoprostol, and uh, and we only do this, by the way, I should say, up until specifically day 71, since the first day of your last period. That's how we mark days and weeks when we're, like, calculating how pregnant someone is, how far okay. along they are. We do from the first day of their last period. Um, so this is around, like, 10 weeks, okay? But because we need that exact dating, you do need to see a provider at first or at least talk about those dates, figure that out. You need to talk to someone who understands the med to make sure it's appropriate for you, to make sure that you are at a stage in pregnancy where this will be effective and safe and you understand all the things we always do with a medicine, risk, sure. benefits, yeah. alternative, side effects. I actually, in my charting, I always put our, our base, R-B-A-S-E. That's my shorthand for saying I have discussed with the patient risk, benefits, alternative, side effects. That's with every medicine. Got it. For our base. That's a there you go. For anyone for for all you medical students out there, let me give you this piece of advice. Our base. Write that. <laughs> um it is a even if you don't do it, right? Just write it. Right? Or you well, no, do no, it. do it and then put that instead of having the way to you type phrase out. it was sort of like this will really keep them off your back if you no, just write our no. base. <laughs> That'll make them think you really took your time. No, no, no. I then mean you like, just move on to the next cash cow. If you're like me, you want to spend more time talking to your patients and being with your patients than you do writing about it. So after you do all of this, after you discuss all those things, instead of then writing out the words, I discussed risks, benefits, alternatives, and side effects with patient, and they understood, I say, I discussed our base with patient. But then everybody's got to call you and say, tell me about this slang you invented, our base. We've never heard. I didn't. I'd found, I saw another doctor. It's just handed down through the Centuries of medicine. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Plenty the elder invented it. Okay. Uh, that's not true. I don't that's I don't know that that's true. So it's effective the vast majority of time. Uh, studies say that around 2 to 5% in different areas with different medication regimens may need some sort of follow-up care after one of these medically induced abortions. If you look at, like, rates of effectiveness, they're up in the high 90s. Um and it depends exactly on where and who and, you know, different factors. So it's an incredibly safe and effective regimen. Mifepristone was first developed in France in the 80s. Oh, That's wow. how old this drug is. Um, it was approved for use in France in 1988. So they figured out that this was something that would work. We already knew that prostaglandins like mesoprostol could induce labor, which would also induce an abortion. But we found this other drug, mefepristone, in France, that would, like I said, it would block the progesterone. So the combo seemed like a safer way to go about it. So that's why it was first developed. Okay. The French company that— Can you help me—sorry. Can you help me understand real quick why we couldn't just do the second one? Um, there was some concern early on with dosing regimens about, like, we didn't know exactly the perfect dose. And, and remember, it was not— Mesoprostol was not developed for abortions. It was developed for stomach ulcers. Right. What we figured out is that pregnant people shouldn't take it because it could in induce an abortion. Okay. Um, so it's a side effect. Uh, okay. However, as with many drugs, sometimes you figure out that it has a side effect that actually you want. 
but you don't know the exact dosing regimen. You don't know how early. So we hadn't figured all that out about mesoprostol yet. Okay. Mifepristone seemed a better way to stop the growth of a pregnancy, stop the process. Let's stop it. Mesoprostol just starts labor. Why don't we stop the process and then start labor? And then right. we can ensure that everything goes along completely yeah. and that there's nothing left over. That's right. really important. And whether we're talking about a spontaneous abortion, which colloquially is known as a miscarriage, or we're talking about an induced abortion, it's important that everything comes out for okay. the safety of the pregnant person. Got it. So anyway, it was approved in France in 1988, but the French company suspended distribution like almost immediately. It lasted like, like they were like, all these anti-abortion groups came out and were like, no, 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 this is terrible. We don't want this. This makes it too easy. And so they suspended distribution almost immediately after they released it because of the backlash. Uh And that lasted two days, this suspension, Mm -hmm. before the French health minister came out and said, "Um, no, we're putting it uh, back on the market because actually our country, France, owns part of your company. And- I am going to ensure that people have access to this drug. He said, from the moment governmental approval for the drug was granted, mifepristone became the moral property of women. We'll update it for the Times and say pregnant people, not just the property of the drug company. Inspiring. Yes. Um, It was then in following years, it was approved in China, it was approved in the UK, it was approved in Sweden. Throughout the 90s, it was approved in like a dozen more countries, still not the U.S. yet. And there was a big push throughout the 90s. Um, Pro-choice groups were constantly, you know, advocating to the U.S. government. Hey, we need this. We need this. Look, all these other countries are approving this. It's safe. It's effective. Why are we doing surgeries all the time when we could do this, you know, as a safer, more effective regimen? The FDA banned the importation of mifepristone as soon as it was approved in France. So 1989, it's banned here, right? So there were there were pressures already taking action to prevent that from happening. Um, the manufacturer banned it in the U.S. And a lot of this was just, uh, we don't want that mess. We right? are a simple <laughs> stomach ulcer pill company. No, no, we no. All- this is mifepristone. This isn't the stomach ulcer pill. Yeah. But still, no, they, they were just like, we don't want this noise. Uh, listen, it was hard enough here in France. We know how you people over there in the U.S. get. Just, we don't want any of that. So basically what ended up happening is that a woman named Leona Benton was stopped by U.S. Customs bringing mifepristone into the country from the U.K. Oh. Um, So at that point, even though eventually actually she lost because she was bringing a banned drug into the U.S. So whether or not morally she was on the right side, it doesn't really matter in the eyes of the law, right? Um, uh, But it brought a lot of attention. And so then when Clinton became president in 93, he said— Hey, everybody's talking about this. I want the Department of Health and Human Services to look back into mifepristone and let's decide if it's a good drug for the U.S. or not. So kind of like started over the conversation in this country in an effort to move towards lifting the band. And the company that originally made mifepristone, who didn't want any of this U.S. noise, uh, in 1995 gave a United States group— called the Population Council, the rights to it in the U.S. and just said, it's your problem now. You decide what to do with it. We're done with it. How weird. Right. I don't it's, think I've ever well, heard of that before. I mean, I think that it, I think that it just shows how, uh, what a lightning rod this issue is. Yeah. Um, and how, uh, I mean, I think when I say protests, you've got to remember that 
people who protest abortion rights, sometimes we're talking about your normal, what we in this country would think of as like peaceful First Amendment Dem- right. Yeah, demonstrators. Yeah, demonstrators. They stand yeah. with signs and chant. You, somebody's got a megaphone. Somebody comes up with clever rhymes. Yeah. The usual the usual protest. I'm not just talking about that, though. There are people, and we all know this, who protest abortion rights by committing acts of violence. And mm-hmm. so these drug distribution, I mean, these drug companies were, I mean, they were receiving threats. Of course. Yeah. Their lives were at risk. Of course, yeah. And, and that often is the case whether you are the manufacturer of an abortion pill or you are someone who works at an abortion-providing clinic. Your, your life may be in danger because of the evidence-based medical care that you provide. Um, and so I, I think it's important to just not say, like, it's not always just optics. Sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. with drug, I'm not going to sit here and give drug companies a pass. I think you right. know that. But it's not just optics. It's your, it's your very life that can be at stake. It, it pains Sydney greatly during COVID to be cheering for drug companies and and defending them against I, I, we're gonna, <laughs> anti-vax people. Here's here's a little spoiler. We're going to end up on the side of drug companies again towards the end of this episode. And no, I don't, I know. Sydney, this is so confusing. Politics makes should, strange bedfellows. Should you have been taking their free lunches and pins this entire time no. instead of refusing them? No, I am. We're going to be such good pals. <laughs> we are not good pals. I still refuse your pizza. Um. So so anyway, the the Russell Ukloff, who was the company that had it, gave it over to the Population Council in ninety five and said, You deal with the US, this is your thing. So okay. at that point, the FDA said, Okay, we're gonna take it up again. We think that uh, their their advisory branch actually recommended, like, hey, this can be approved here. It's done they've done all the work. This is safe and effective. We can prove that here. But it wasn't that quick. It took a long time. Many, many regulatory-like trials because it was such a hot-button issue, because the spotlight was on it, because of all the protests, and because when I say protests, there were influential people within the government who were using their money and power to try and stop this drug from coming to the market in the United States. Naturally. So it took until the year 2000 when finally, it was on September 28th, year 2000, Mifepristone was approved for medically induced abortion in the United States of America. Long so time ago. 12 years after it was synthesized. Yes, and a long time ago, 23 long years time. ago, almost here. Um, it could drink. So that should have been it. We've been using it since then. We have a long track record of it being safe and effective. So we did. you do all the trials, and then you release it into the population, and you see, is anything going wrong with it? And you find no. All right, well, I got to say, it's Sid, well. pretty short episode, but still very interesting. Uh, that's going to do it for us on Sawbones this week. Thanks no, to well, taxpayers for you. Justin, unfortunately, we have some updates, as many of you know, to the story. But before I get to all that, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. 
I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're going to talk about pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey there, beautiful people. I am your favorite authoress, Trayvell Anderson, of We See Each Other, a black trans journey through TV and film. You know this is supposed to be a promo for our show, Fanti, and not your book, right? It's called Multitasking. I can't with you right now. Trayvell and I have an award-winning show called Fanti that we both host, and it's a podcast where we dig into the complex and complicado mm-hmm. conversations about the gray areas in our lives. Perhaps there is a public figure of some sort, and you're like, oh, that person's so smart and so charming, but you're also like, oh, that person gets on my nerves. Okay, okay. You can catch us every week right here on Max Fun or wherever you get your Slayworthy audio. And you can watch us on the YouTube every Friday. That's Fanti. F-A-N-T-I. Since we reached our highest milestone during the Max Fun Drive, we are creating a Max Fun Foley library full of sound effects from your favorite hosts. The whole MaxFun community will be able to use it. So, what would you like it to feature? People high-fiving? Walking through mud? Chicken clucking? Jazz kazoo? Head to MaximumFun.org slash Foley. That's MaximumFun.org slash F-O-L-E-Y and submit your ideas. We're excited to make this silly thing together and even more excited to see what you all create with it. And thank you again for a great Max Fun Drive.
ever after. Oh, okay, because yeah. it's the second. Yeah, yeah. This is like into the woods. To stop it at the end of the first act. Yeah. Trust me, it's all happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, as I alluded to, that isn't the end of the story. So, first of all. Just because it was approved in the year 2000, it wasn't easy to get. There were certain restrictions placed specifically on this medicine that, again, as I mentioned, aren't on most, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if you come to me as a doctor and I say, hey, I think you need this blood pressure medicine, I will send it to your pharmacy Mm -hmm. and we'll both move. I'll talk to you about it, of course. We'll do all the thing, all the R bases. And then we'll both move on with our lives. You'll go get it from your pharmacy. You'll take your pill. I'll see you. We'll check your blood pressure, whatever. Well, with, with mifepristone, you had to actually go in person and pick up the medicine. Okay. Um, in some states, you actually had to take it there. Oh, wow. Sometimes you could get well, it and take watching. it home. Yeah. Um, now, this was until COVID. In July of 2020, there was a temporary injunction that uh, placed specifically to allow mifepristone to be mailed because a, a lot of other medicines shifted that direction during the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. And so as that was happening, as you can imagine, people were saying, well, shouldn't we do the same for me? Why are we requiring people during the during a pandemic to go in person to an office to get a pill. That they could get, yeah. That we could just mail to them, right? Like, why would we do that? Yeah. And so this was allowed, as a lot of meds were. I mean, this was this was common during COVID. A lot of things were shifted to telemedicine. Um, and, with, and with a good basis for how we can manage that and how we can continue to safely, you know, monitor these medications. But everything changed last summer because mifepristone is— you know, a, a medication that induces abortion. Right. Of course, the Dobbs ruling last summer, which overturned Roe v. Wade, has an impact on mifepristone as well. So right. anywhere, when you, I think a lot of times when you think about a state that may have banned abortion, you think about like, wait, now you can't go into the clinic and get that procedure that I think I know about that's an abortion. Because I think a lot of people, unless you've had one, although a lot of people have had them, which is also something we don't talk about enough. They're very common. But a lot of people who haven't had one and aren't in the medical field, you don't really know what that entails. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes it's just some pills. And those were banned as well to be used for that specific. And there'd be no other reason to prescribe mifepristone. That's the only thing it's for. Mm-hmm. Misoprostol still has other indications, but you can't use it in states where where abortion was banned. You can't use these pills for that either, right? Um, like West Virginia, for instance, the state that we live in. Mm-hmm. But this doesn't change the fact that mifepristone is still an effective and safe drug that has been used since 1988 in France, that has been used since the year 2000 in the U.S., and has a long and strong track record of, of, you know, being a safe medication. So deciding that, like, all of a sudden the FDA approval that it got was wrong is really an unprecedented decision. To take a medication that is two decades old in this country, we'll just focus on the U.S. because we do our own thing, right? Like we don't, we didn't just follow France's approval. We had to, we had to check them, see for ourselves. Doing this is real. I mean, this isn't something that is done because if you think about the process of FDA approval, right? This isn't like one person. It's not just like they get three dudes in a room and say, "What do you think?" That seems good. Yeah, your nay, yeah. right? Um, and so the idea that one judge would be able to counteract that, to counteract yeah. the the years and dozens of scientists seems, and doctors that, that go often, into the process, it, it yeah. seems like maybe judges shouldn't be able to do that. Well, maybe they've never done that before, and so all of a sudden we're in new legal territory. Is this 
Why? Is this something they should do, can do, will do more of? So I think in, in, under, in order to understand why would a judge take this sort of unprecedented, dramatic activist action, which is what it is. Yes. You know, you, you hear the, the term— A lot of these activist judges. Yeah, this is really an activist judge. Yes. Um, so anti-choice activists have been trying for a very long time to do this exact thing, to call into question the FDA approval of mifepristone. And there are a lot of different ways— if, if this is what you're going to invest your life into doing is mm-hmm. fighting abortion care, there are a lot of different ways to go about it. And this is one pathway that groups have tried for a while. So there have been petitions from groups like the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists that have tried to say, no, the FDA was wrong. We know. We're doctors. The FDA was wrong and have tried to do this in the past. Um, there are other groups that have sort of started started aligning with them. They're called the American College of Pediatricians. That sounds like that's just, oh, that must it be the pediatrics real. group. It's not. It's a specific advocacy group for specifically this issue. Um, there's the Christian Medical and Dental Associations, the Coptic Medical Association of North America, and the Catholic Medical Association that have all joined together in similar efforts, okay? Mm-hmm. And as you can tell, a lot of these groups are religiously motivated. That is the, the basis. Yes, they are doctors, but they are coming from a shared religious perspective. Because of all this kind of noise, there was a congressional review of this in 2006. The House held hearings on it to say, like, should the FDA approved it? And in 2008, there was this big report issued that said, yeah, it's safe. No problem. It's fine. This was fine. Um, But what has happened in recent, because of the last presidential administration, is that a lot of districts have been stacked with far-right conservative activist judges. Um, And that's something I think none of us really pay enough attention to, right? Yeah. Do you know when presidential administrations appoint new judges? Do you pay attention to that? Now, honey, if you're looking to establish a baseline (laughs) of American intelligence, I'm not sure that I'm the best person to be using here. Um, I shot my phone with a taser. I, you know, (laughs) I'm not a smart man. My dad once um, knocked himself out dumping bleach into kitty litter. I don't come from good genes in that regard. Uh, I just think if you're trying to establish like an everyman, mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. like su- like I'm sub that. <laughs> Listen, let, well then let me let me go ahead and um, throw shade on myself. <laughs> okay, I don't pay enough attention to this, and I I like to think I'm someone who pays attention to all that stuff that you're supposed to. I like to think that I'm watching. And, you know, involved and thinking about the implications of all these. I forget about the fact, and I think a lot of us do, that presidential administrations, especially when they have the Congress on their side, can appoint a lot of judges very quickly. And they don't necessarily – I think the Supreme Court sort of highlighted this for a lot of us Mm -hmm. because for many of us, maybe we now look at the Supreme Court and think, are they making judgments based on all of our best interests now? Mm-hmm. And ask that ourselves that question. Do we agree with that statement now? Well, that's happening on every level. And we forget about every level that isn't the Supreme Court a yeah. lot too often. So in, in late 2021, all of those activist groups that I mentioned mm-hmm. formed the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine. Now, what is the mission of the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine? Just to keep it – just to like keep it real like with Hippocrates' stuff. Like mm-hmm. Just to keep it – 
They uphold and promote, this is from their website, they, they uphold and promote the fundamental principles of Hippocratic medicine. These principles include protecting the vulnerable at the beginning and end of life, seeking the ultimate good for the patient with compassion and moral integrity, and providing health care with the highest standards of excellence based on medical science. Yeah, seems good. Seems good. Yeah, that's great. They quote some of the oath on their page. If you go to their web page, there's not much there. Um, to look at. You have to be a member and have a password, I guess, to look at all the juicy stuff there. Um, <laughs> but uh, they quote some of the oath. I will say they don't quote all of the oath. They leave out the part about how they won't cut for the stone because, you know, that's surgery. And like we, they, do, we do do some that. Some of us do. Yeah, some of us do surgery. Um, it also, by the way, I, and we've done a whole episode on the Hippocratic Oath. So just as a refresher, it starts by swearing to Apollo. <laughs> And all the other Greek gods and goddesses. This is in the first part of the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. I have to imagine that these Christian medical organizations— Do not swear fealty to their Roman yeah, lords. To, to Apollo. <laughs> but and, and also, they don't—conveniently, medical students, they don't mention the part about where Hippocrates said, I'll never charge for teaching people medicine— <laughs> we never mentioned that part because Hippocrates also said that. You should teach people medicine and not charge them for it. So I don't think they'd be comfortable with any of that, but they leave that out. They yeah, leave the, they leave the parts they don't like out. Um, I also think that a group that says that they are for Hippocratic medicine, and we do a medical history podcast, so I feel like I'm allowed to comment on this. So do you mean the four humors? Because that is what that means. That is what that is. I mean, that was the system of medicine. The humoral system of medicine is what Hippocrates followed. So do you, do you, where is my phlegm and black bile and yellow bile and my blood? And like, how is that in order? And what, what hot or cold things do you want to do? And do you mean you're going to put leeches on me? I just think that if you're going to say we follow Hippocrates. Maybe you should know what you're talking about before you start. Yeah. But that wasn't the point. The point of forming this organization was to incorporate it in August of 2022. That's how recent this is. Okay. So it was formed in late 2021. It was incorporated formally in August of 2022 in Amarillo, Texas. Why there? It's strange because none of these organizations that make up the group are based there and their mailing address is in Tennessee. So why would they incorporate it in Amarillo, Texas? I don't know, Sid. Because cases filed in that area... 95% of any cases filed in that specific area of the country fall to Judge Matthew uh, Kazmar, Kazmarik. Kat, I don't care. Kazmarik. And uh, I don't, I don't want to get into his entire history. You can look up the history of his opinions and the briefs that he's followed in the past. He has worked to deny contraception to patients, like to allow pharmacies to deny contraception, to allow doctors to refuse treatment to transgender patients, um, he has worked very hard in anti-choice efforts to deny, to use legal methods to help groups deny abortion care and abortion uh, in different parts of, of the country. So this is, this, this is his thing. He, he, this is the background he comes from. Um, and so filing this in this district was very specifically, this was a, there's a word for that. You do like judge shopping. You find a district it. where yeah. you know you'll get the opinion you want. Right. And inevitably— he ruled that the FDA approval of the drug was not done appropriately, and it was fast-tracked, and, well, basically, we're not—it shouldn't—we should go back to the FDA. We should stop its approval and go back to the FDA and make them prove it again. But then he, he did stay his ruling for seven days to basically say, we'll allow the government to take action if they want to. Um, 
So you may be asking, was it fast-tracked? Like, that's the that's the well, core. Was it, uh, do you want me to ask that? <laughs> Um, well, and that was the was core, it fast tracked? That was the core argument of the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine. They're the lead plaintiff. There are other people who filed it, but they're the lead group. Was it fast tracked? No. The core argument that they're making is that the the expedited approval process that we all heard mm-hmm. so much about during COVID, during the vaccine approval process, that was actually not used in the approval of Mifepristone. So their okay. core argument is is not true. Suspicious. Yes. Um, when the drug was submitted for approval in 1996, it went through multiple rounds of evaluation and everyone, it was approvable and then it had to go on to the next one. There were elements and it's, it's really important. I'm not a lawyer, but it's really important that you ask somebody who knows this stuff. I actually, and I should preface, I was not given any formal legal advice, just thoughts and opinions from a certain first year law student that I know named mm-hmm. Riley Smurl, who <laughs> gave me her thoughts and opinions. But uh, again, as she said multiple times, this is not legal advice, Sydney. <laughs> um, so uh, as they as they went through this process, they used a couple of the elements from the accelerated approval section of the FDA accelerated approval process for some of the safety elements, but it didn't actually follow that pathway. It followed the traditional pathway for drug approval. So it didn't receive accelerated approval. Okay. It went through the normal channels. It was not channels. even regular fast track. It was not fast track. And based on uh, major studies from France, and also they had said initially, we want to wait till this major U.S. study is done before we approve it. After that was done and it replicated the same results that they found in France, then they approved it. So it met all the usual requirements. None of that is true. So the core reason that the judge issued this opinion is not True. Whoa. Uh, Mifepristone has been used for 35 years. The side effect rate is extremely low. It's safer than a surgical abortion. That does not mean that a surgical abortion procedure is not safe, but this is if it is available to you, if you're early enough into a pregnancy, this is a this is considered the Sa- most safe and safe effective. Safe is almost always a question of degrees, right? Like yeah. safe is there's always some little, you know, the the uh nothing is one hundred percent perfectly safe all the time no and they're always like safe is like okay obviously we would prefer to do an elective procedure over an emergency procedure but if your appendix has ruptured we can't do an elective procedure on you that doesn't mean that the emergency surgery you receive is unsafe no it's safe you are having a safe surgery so I, i mean i think it's important to know that um, and in, in fact, in 2020, that was the first year that the majority of legal abortions performed in the United States involved medicine, 53%. So more than half of abortions in the U.S., as of our last tally, were done through medicines, not through procedures. No, we don't, nobody talks about that. Actually. No, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think a lot of people realize that. And while there are complications to any medications, there are side effects, of course, of course you expect that. That's with every single medicine and procedure that we do. There can be complications or side effects. Um, as of our last uh, accounting, the chance of dying from a legal induced abortion in the U.S. is less than half a person per 100,000 performed. Wow. It's like 0. 0.3, 0.43. Your chance of dying in pregnancy in the United States of America, as of our last accounting, was 32 people per 100,000. So it's more da- it's less dangerous exponentially less dangerous than being pregnant. Yes. Just to 
throw that out there, and that's not to make everybody afraid of being pregnant. Our maternal mortality rate, our, our pregnancy mortality rate is still something that the United States should be tackling and doing a lot more. Um, but that's another podcast. So, Not another podcast. It's a different episode. <laughs> it's a different episode. So to be clear, even if Mifepristone, even if this is upheld by the Supreme Court, and we cannot obtain that, I want, I want you to know this if you are someone who may need this care. A mesoprostal alone regimen is still safe and effective. There are many countries who only have access to that and who only use that regimen, and it still works. Our feeling is that if you use, from studies that we've done so far, mifepristone and mesoprostal together, then you have fewer side effects. That is why we try to do that regimen preferentially when it is available because you are less likely to have side effects than with a mesoprostal alone regimen. Um, but the World Health Organization will say these are essential medicines and both regimens are safe and effective. So please do not, whatever the future holds, do not um, take away from this episode that a mesoprostal, a single drug regimen for medical-induced abortion is unsafe. It, it is safe. It is effective. However, we are restricting a drug that is safe and effective and is our preferred regimen based on false arguments. I think that's the important thing to know. Um, just so you kind of know where we are, because a lot happened all at once. So that judge ruled that uh, basically the approval of mifepristone was not in accordance with law. And he said the FDA had to suspend its approval until they do whatever he wants them to do. But then he stayed his own order for seven days and said, now the government can fight back. They've got a week to fight back. Within an hour... Another judge, Rice, in uh, the Eastern District of Washington, ruled in a separate lawsuit that the FDA should not uh, reduce the availability of mifepristone anywhere in the United States. So these are conflicting rulings from right. judges kind of at the same level. So the Supreme Court has to decide. So now it's got to go to the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court said, nobody do anything. You've got until Tuesday to file your briefs. So Tuesday, April 18th, this is tomorrow as of when we're recording this, that's when you have to file all the briefs for us to look at and decide what we're going to do about this incredibly safe and effective drug that has been approved in the United States of America since the year 2000, that has been approved worldwide since 1988, and has a long track record of doing exactly what it says it's going to do in a very safe way. Um, and they will decide what to do with it. And I, I really think it's important, especially if you're in the medical field, to pay attention to what's happening right now because the pharmaceutical lobby has always been more effective than the doctor lobby, right? Much to our chagrin. Yeah. The pharmaceutical lobby has taken steps to come out and issue statements and write a letter, an open letter, to say, you don't know how dangerous this could be. Not just because restricting access to this drug the is dangerous. The precedent. Yes, because if at any point an activist judge can decide based on their own personal religious, moral, whatever beliefs, I mean, that's what this is about. Their own personal beliefs of one human can look at a drug and decide they don't think people should be able to take it. And what other drugs might that have an impact on? I mean, initially, immediately I start to think about the hormone therapies we use for our trans patients or hormone blockers that we use for trans patients who are younger. Um, start thinking again about various forms of contraception. I mean, th think about how many people out there 
don't believe in certain psychiatric conditions and would restrict access to different psychiatric medications that they feel are unnecessary or in some way violate their own religious feelings. I think the implications of a single judge being able to overturn all the processes that the FDA has in place to approve these medications are are terrifying. Um, And it's something that could impact all of us. And it's unfortunate that when something only impacts a certain segment of the population, we're supposed to let it slide and we have to worry that like, well, but what if it impacted me? But that's the truth. This, this could impact every single one of us if this goes forward. And so I hate to be on the same side of the pharmaceutical lobby, but um, here we are. they're right. It would also pressure through financial pressures. If you're a company that's developing a drug that might be subject to these sorts of rulings, mm-hmm. if you're uh, maybe a drug that would prevent HIV or treat HIV. Could have a chilling effect. Maybe vaccines yeah. that are controversial. Maybe you just decide, and eh, this is not worth it. We don't want to deal with the regulatory you know, uh, headaches. So we'll just we'll just start working on other drugs. Yeah, and it's not that wild considering literally 20 minutes ago in this episode, we had an incident of a company making that exact choice, the French company deciding to, to not be involved with this medication because it's not worth it. It's important that those of us in healthcare are standing up to speak about this too. Activist groups are doing it. The pharmaceutical lobby is doing the right thing. <laughs> um, where are we? Where are our voices? I'm, I'm here, okay? We are not loud enough. I'm doing a pot. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. Uh, we hope you, uh, well, enjoyed the weird. Got something out of this and, and can maybe use that knowledge in your day-to-day life. Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks to the taxpayers for use of their song, Medicines, as the intro and outro of our program. Sid, any final thoughts before you looked like you had final thoughts? No, I don't I don't want to I again, I'm not trying to alarm people, but please pay attention to this because obviously abortion care is health care and it is important in its own right just because of what it is. But um, the implications of allowing some groups' personal religious beliefs to dictate health care access for everyone in this country, are, it's it's a really dangerous place to put us in, and especially my fellow healthcare providers, we have not been vocal enough in fighting this. And at the end of the day, we're the ones who are gonna have to, who are gonna be put in a position where we provide bad care because we are not legally allowed to provide standard of care, and that is that is happening every day. And I just, I think we all need to be paying more attention and being more vocal about our part in this. Um, That's going to do it, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, We will be back with you again next week. Until then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.